Welcome everybody back to the Domcast episode 23, where tonight it is just me. Yes, I will say right off the bat, go ahead and expect some of these podcasts to A, be shorter as the playoffs get shorter, and B, be in randomly placed times. So as you'll notice, had one on time last week, then I did the one on Friday, as I said I would, the playoff predictions. It's gonna. It, this one is coming out on Monday, as expected. It, it kind of lined up with all the game ones happening back to back over the weekend. But just a heads up, like, you know, depending what happens in the playoffs, pending interesting results and or interesting things that I see, you might just get some on random days. So I just say that because I didn't really plan on having one today, being that the last one was Friday. But here we are. And it's because I want to talk about game ones. Before I do that, I <laughs> rule number one, have to remind you all to, if you are enjoying the podcast, rate it, Spotify, uh, the, the little star button, YouTube, the like button, Apple Podcasts, also uh a star button i guess i don't know what y'all rated on there but i appreciate the reviews well i feel like i had something else important to say but there's actually a lot of important things to say so i'll get around to whatever is slipping my mind at the moment i'm gonna start in order oh yeah i can already tell you there's like at least two games i don't really have a whole lot to say about i caught at least a piece of every game this weekend but some of them i i flat out didn't care much for so I either use that time to rest up a bit and I, I haven't gotten to to review maybe some of the important things about him, but it's it's mostly for the series that I don't care much about anyways. So that might not really matter. Let's start in order. The playoffs kicked off with a game that I'm going to assume most people skipped. I think a lot of fans were not interested in a Luka Doncic less Mavericks and Jazz series or opener so however that ended up happening as we theorized cap strains do not just magically heal i saw and i don't i don't mean to poke fun at dallas fans on twitter but i boy i saw a lot of copium i I saw so much copium going around about what was going to happen and people over exaggerating over exaggerating his injury and i was just going man we've seen this movie before it's not really an over exaggeration it's just kind of how these things go and not only has he missed game one, he is slated right now to miss game two, which I am sure takes place uh, tomorrow. I'm recording this on Sunday night. Pretty sure. Either way, as we thought, Scott probably going to miss the first two games. So how did that affect game one? Uh, how on the mark were we with some of the things that we talked about in the predictions? Let's go through all that right now. First of all, I still. So with the information we have with Luca. I picked the Jazz to win this series in six games, accounting for maybe Luka coming back at um, not 100% or him just missing the series flat out. That's what that prediction entailed. Other part of that is watching game one. I'm going, damn, I'm crying if I'm a Dallas fan because they had Luka. This would be a sweep in favor of dallas i don't say that just as a simple analysis of oh they barely lost without him so there's no way the jazz could compete with him it's a little bit more complicated than that just the fact that if you listen to the tail end of me and heat check talking about that series the end i kind of caught up caught it and when well yeah spencer dinwiddie and and jalen brunson are probably still going to be doing a lot of the same things that luca tries to do difference is you don't have to double those guys but as far as generating open looks because Gobert is in a drop and they are very obviously uh, the Jazz defenders are very obviously not going to get over screens um, that I feel like they can still generate some of the same some of the same offense that they do even without Luka being there. They did that. 
they did that for a lot of the game they were able to get some floaters up they were able to get a lot of three-pointers especially in the first half and more or less stay in control of the game for a limited time and that's the part that's not too hard to predict right when you're missing an mvp talent like luca you're gonna run out of gas eventually because spencer dinwiddie's got to go to the bench which leaves you with one shot creator one playmaker which is jalen brunson and it's not even like it's an elite level playmaker brunson's good but when that's when you're down to him as your only option on the floor kind of tough that happens at points in the game a and B, even when you have Spencer Dinwiddie doing so, it's kind of like, yeah, this is this, it's just the best we have right now. It's also not ideal. So they were still able to get their shots, but you're missing very obvious other things, such as, uh, you know, lobs to Dwight Powell, which would be interesting to see if they would get in this series. I sense that they would, because if you had Luca running those screens, he would definitely be able to, to you know, engage Rudy Gobert a little bit more than some of the other guys will I'm sure even though Rudy did a hell of a job protecting the rim I think he would be caught in the middle a little bit more you'd see more usefulness for for a Dwight Powell um then also you're missing Lucas step backs as well which is just an option right because you have that option then everything else moves down the line in terms of uh, Spencer Dinwiddie three or Dorian Finney Smith three those things become all right yeah we can do that too those are just other options that you have right now they're pretty much totally dependent on those things and so dallas was able to get away with it for a while but it also took some help from the jazz side and i don't want to discredit dallas's defense but the jazz were missing hella shots they were missing a lot of shots donovan mitchell was having for him a historically cold start to a playoff game so they it was kind of once you got to around the end of the second quarter i was able to go ahead and fact that the jazz were probably going to win this game i just didn't feel like they were going to stay cold enough long enough and i didn't feel like dallas was going to be able to sustain what they were doing without Luka Doncic. that's what it is they can get to some things that they like but sustaining it is the hard part that's why we always say the playoffs are for superstars you gotta have a superstar player or multiple superstar players because you can be a good team all you want but at the end of the day which by the way this is going to come up in another series we talk about a little bit later like you just you need your guys um <clears throat> so another thing that utah was able to do the they went to bogdanovich who was able to get many good looks just by posting up ironically uh he kind of was keeping them in it at a point and once these shots started falling the jazz were able to take control of it a little bit of course went cold again dallas was able to get back into it but it, it ended close it ended closer then you wanted it to end which a is in line with what we all think about utah right now what i think about utah that they are an unserious contending team um there's still the fact that yes th this game did end close and i think even game two could end close it depends what if utah comes out and they actually hit some of their shots that might that might um, stop that scenario from happening but yeah it didn't you know game one just did not really inspire confidence um it's exactly the things we saw with them in the regular season i think it'll look better once you come into game one and they get off to a better start it won't look quite as bad as it did but because you had that and you had dallas being able to just do what they regularly do and get the looks that they wanted it was pretty much oh gosh speaking of getting looks that you won <laughs> i kind of forgot should i talk about the play in at all i don't think it's i think we kind of missed that 
um, yeah, I didn't get to talk about the last playing games because Trey Young put on a show. It doesn't matter. Whatever. We're in the playoffs. I might get to it at the end. I might, I might briefly discuss those at the end. Anyways, uh, Utah escapes with game one, no Luka in game two. And I think that Utah will walk away with the 2-0 lead. I really do. I still see, uh, well, not still. It's a, it's a new thing since game one just recently happened. I see a lot of people in my mentions saying, oh, well, if Utah gets out of this series. And I think they will. I If you just watch game one, Dallas has to... They have to hang on for dear life, basically, is the thing. Even if they get a seven or eight point lead, they have to hang on to that. They have to sustain a lot of things that are just very difficult. You have to do that. If Luka is not on the floor, you have to do that for a good amount of time. I think that's going to be the cause of them dropping both their home games. But if they don't, <clears throat> they don't drop both their home games and they're able to get Luka back at some point in the series. That makes things interesting because now the question is, where is Luka physically? uh yeah because look if they had him on the floor utah would just they, they'd be out of here bro utah would be out of here uh there'd be even more open shots but then you would have to deal with the superstar shit that luca does too and it would be interesting to see what uh what decisions luca would make in terms of getting to the rim because dallas they don't and luca does it sometimes but that is the last thing i wanted to mention uh rudy did a really good job in this game did a really really good job doing what he is supposed to do just protect the rim and dallas uh, just couldn't get anything going for the most part throughout the entire game near that it was like shots and floaters or nothing which that's the part about sustaining right when you got to the end of that game it felt like for some reason they it, there was like a stretch where they kind of stagnated and went with some isos and you, you can't Dallas, you can't do that, bro. You don't have Luca on the floor. You cannot just go straight to ISO. Just ru keep running screens and getting the at least get your open looks. Cause I, I really think that also, especially because they barely lost, that kind of ended up costing them that there was a stretch where they just said, All right, well, we're just gonna try to create some random stuff now. You do not have a random stuff roster. This is this is a supporting cast roster. You did not have you, you cannot do random things and, and walk away. But yeah, no, um, not inspired by Utah at all. They did what they were supposed to do. I was really looking like, damn, I, I knew they would catch back up eventually. But for a moment there, they had me. I was going, damn, are y'all really going to let Dallas get game one? Um, and Spencer Dinwiddie's not even making his free throws. This is kind of tough. Well, that's that's my thoughts for Dallas and Utah going forward. I think Utah should get both games, but we shall see. Because I don't know. Maybe Utah come out and be colder than they were. or They'll stay cold. And then, all you know, Dallas builds a solid lead because they got a bunch of open threes. And bang. Uh, tie series, right? That that would be fucked. It's eventually, I think Luka will come back. So, we'll see what happens with that. The game that took place after that. Wow, I saw a lot of basketball this week because I just tried to get an image in my head of what I watched after that. There we go. This is Memphis. Memphis. I almost said the Memphis Timberwolves. It's late. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, boy. Oh boy, Cat pulled up with the smoke. So if you did listen to the playoff prediction podcast, I was talking about Cat and how he didn't really inspire any confidence in me with his 2018 playoff run and what happened with the play-in. I fully acknowledged how much the Clippers really deterred him, but also that it shouldn't really have been that easy to deter a player with his skill set and how he's got to be smarter, yada yada, right? I did the whole did the whole thing. Here's the part about that. Memphis. I'm not sure, and it's going to be really, really interesting to see what they come with in game two, because I'm not sure 
and this is what it'll this is what'll be answered on NBA TV, by the way. Game two was on NBA TV. Go figure. What adjustments Memphis is going to be able to throw at them? Because having Steven Adams out there is an issue. So the Clippers are able to do is just take small bodies like Broco, Nick Batum, um, guys that are playing forward, but they're they're you know part of small ball lineups. So we able to put them on primary uh, defenders as cat on cat and then have Zubak just kind of roam or have help just roaming and you know, immediately show him the body soft doubles, that type of thing. It's tough because Steven Adams does not move well, not quick. And Jaron Jackson fouls a lot, even though he is a good defender and he blocks a hell of shots in a short amount of time. Even throughout the season, he almost averages around four fouls per game. He fouls quite a bit. So, yeah, the problem is twofold. You can go, all right, well, let's get Steven Adams off the floor. Let's run Jaron Jackson at the five, Brandon Clark at the four, and maybe try to duplicate something that there's some of what the Clippers did. But that has because Cat is really aggressive in this matchup. And that was the main thing, as cliche as it is to say, oh, I need to see a star be aggressive. That still was a thing after the Clippers game I wanted to see. He came out super aggressive. That one where he felt Jaw reach for the ball and he turned the corner and dunked on Jaron Jackson. Yeah, that's that's the type of aggression we're talking about. Um just just and also did the same thing to Steven Adams when he when he overhelped on one of those plays. That's the issue, right? Pick and rolls. That was something I asked Heat Check about. That's about pick and rolls for both sides. And that's where Steven Adams particularly gets screwed. Cat sets the screen uh, and his D-Lo with the ball or Ant with the ball. You have uh, Adams coming up at the level or even a little bit higher. If, if he comes out too high, his feet are slow, bro. His feet are slow and Cat moves like a guard. With or without the ball, he that's a very quick big man. Adams don't have the facilities for this. Adams does not have the facilities for this. He is a strong guy, and if you post him up, you probably won't have a great day. But Cat is not a post-up player. He he dribbles a lot. He puts the ball on the floor. He he runs without the ball. Those are all things that make Steven Adams being on the floor just a tiny bit impractical. So I'm interested to see how they handle that. Because once again, Jaron Jackson was fouling a lot this game as well. And what I'm worried about, that's something that that was a question that I had with the matchups in the last pod we did was okay well if you do jaron jackson as the primary guy uh last game fouled a lot if you start having him you have him primary cat and he fouls a lot uh that's an issue maybe you go okay we're gonna use brandon clark as a smaller body and have jaron jackson roam that's a thought but then i feel like it's an easy enough counter especially with the one game lead it's an easy enough counter for finch to just go all right well we're gonna take vanderbilt off the floor and stick in a malik beasley or something just fill in some shooting there all of a sudden roaming isn't that, that great of an idea so ideally you would be able to have jaron jackson come in and help but i'm not sure how long uh memphis would just you know allow that to happen especially because they they saw something similar already a week ago those are all the things that I'll be looking at in game two in terms of slowing down cat, because to me, that's the biggest issue at someone in my chat, which, by the way, we're doing hella watch parties for the playoffs. They've already been crazy lit. And I was talking about the cat coverage. One of the chatters asked, why shouldn't the question be stopping? And all right, look, and it's a per- perimeter guy. Cliche Twitter meme. He got that dog in him. <laughs> He's going to do Ant is going to do what Ant's going to do. You already have Desmond Bain on him or Dylan Brooks. 
and edwards is going to to find his ways to get downhill he is going to to euro step around you when you try to take a charge he's gonna bulldoze his way to the rim he's gonna charge like he's going to the rim and hit you with his step backs he's gonna take shots if he sees space those are ant is just gonna be ant and you already have your defenders you already have your matchups for him reason i'm more worried about the cat thing is because right now there's not a viable matchup that you have figured out so you you know if ant gets his 30 or 35 and he just cooked you he cooked you but having steven adams who clearly who, whose feet are cinder blocks out there trying to chase cat i feel like that's kind of the the bigger thing because that's so clearly exploitable we'll see if if ant continues you know hot shooting or you know being able to score as he did but you know while we're on that subject yeah that watching him grow up is is incredible in year two like it's happening I was I was hyped for the year three jump. They made it to the playoffs. Uh, go back to some piece of content I made. This is the biggest reason I wanted to see the Timberwolves be one of the teams that made it. Is because I wanted to see them get this playoff these playoff reps. I wanted to see them get this confidence, and especially against a team like the Grizz, who are also young, it really feels like they're battling for the next great team of the West. Speaking of which, Memphis is led by one of the next Grizz, next best players, not just of the West of the NBA, and John Moran. I made sure to mention Jaw has struggled against the Wolves in the regular season. Life has been tough for him because he can't quite get to the rim the same as he does throughout the entire throughout the season. Those are his signature games where he's able to get two feet in the paint. He's leading the league in paint scoring. That's where his bread and butter is. But for Minnesota, they just have Cat come up on those screens. And you you show him two, basically. You show him two. So whether it's a soft double or whatever it is. You make it so his only option to get to the rim is to really do, you know do something nifty and get between basically get between the two something like a behind the back dribble or you know a push dribble something fancy and even then he might see other bodies you saw it happen in game one and jaw wasn't even shooting bad in the first half but there's a lot even the ones he made he has to force hard to get to the rim it's not like him and and you know how you've seen in a regular season just getting there at will He's got a force. He's got to get around a body. He's got to contort as hard as possible. And I think in game one, it got frustrating because he, he I don't want to say he played into their hands, but at a certain point, he was just like, OK, I'm, I'm job. I've been doing this all season. I don't I don't care what the coverage is down here. I don't care if there's a, a, a clear body uh, already a little bit outside of the paint that I'm going to have to get around. I'm going to force I'm going to force this layup. And they were able to get some misses. Of course, he got in the paint sometimes and he got his dunks. But it wasn't nearly as effective as it was throughout the regular season. That is worrisome to me because now that's probably four or five games uh, between these teams where Jaw hasn't really been able to be Jaw. And so that's why I say game two. I'm so excited to see what the adjustments are on the defensive end. Sure. But also, how do you get how, how do you get the best out of Jaw in a, in a series like this against a team that he hasn't? performed well against because of the defensive scheme you got to figure that out you figure out whatever and i don't i'm not the coach i don't have the x's and o's i don't have the job the i don't have anything drawn up but however they can uh get him going that's going to be absolutely necessary because what did i tell y'all uh two or three weeks ago 
uh, when did I go on the little rant about I don't want to hear your oh the Grizzlies are better without jaw takes I was serious because when you get to the playoffs that's different from winning a bunch of regular season games against whatever teams you're beating get to the playoffs all of a sudden there's a book and they're going okay this is what we're doing and that's when that's when you need superstars so when you need superstars and you need superstars to be superstars and so very interested to see what they what uh Taylor Jenkins does to possibly get job more comfortable um you know maybe if he pushes the three a little bit more which i feel like minnesota wants even though jaw has been a pretty good shooter this year i feel like minnesota would be happy if he was at that point basically settling for three-pointers because minnesota is happy with anything that it's not jaw just knifing his way to the cup so it's going to be interesting it is going to be interesting this is uh one of the nba shows i did on, on twitch um like probably a month ago, we had a film coordinator on our former film coordinator. I asked him, what's the next step in Jaws game? He was saying, oh, basically a, a, a mid-range, a legitimate or elite mid-range game to really open open things up. I think that's that's mighty important right now, because what you see is with this version of Jaws, it kind of feels like, all right, if it's not him finishing in the paint, it's using or leaning heavily into his three-pointer. I don't think he has a, a real mid-range game right now that's a threat. To really just go to in a moment like this where he needs to find a way to be effective and so that really is probably the next evolution in this game which will eventually get him mvp because he could use it right now he could absolutely uh use another way to score that doesn't you know involve him having to have two feet in the paint basically game two will happen on nba tv as we said and right now i don't have a call for that one i would like to think the grizzlies aren't going to lose both their home games but like those are two really, really, really big things they need to figure out. And the last part I was worried about with this is that Memphis was never in control of that game. Not for a single second. They weren't in control of that game. Memphis came out and hopped on that ass like immediately <laughs> and they stayed on it. Pause. Um, Patrick Beverly did the things he does with his energy. Told y'all right, what reminder number 156. I will take Pat on my team if you won't. And. Uh, this was what D'Lo wasn't even that great, was he? There was at a point, wasn't he one for 10 or something? So, yeah, Memphis got to be careful here because that this was not a case of just, oh, any team can be any team on any given night. This was a case of there's some legitimate basketball book things here that Minnesota did that Memphis might not be able to deal with. That's what that was. And so if they lose game two, I... My, my pick will switch <laughs> my pick will have, and if they lose it the same way particularly uh my pick will switch because it's fun on these days to just go oh this this player only had this many points or he only played this well and they were still hanging around so they'll definitely win but dude you got to look at why that player played that way sometimes and then you find out oh yeah it's because it's they were getting you know the other team was giving them legitimate issues all right so that's what i have for Memphis memphis and minnesota series is every bit as fun as we thought it would be move on to philly and toronto and i'm already discouraged i'm already discouraged in this series because i thought this was going to be one of the best already joel Embiid has stepped on scotty barnes foot and it it went like inward i'm going to guess he cannot return back from that this series this uh maybe if if they advance this playoffs but um, I don't think he'll return from something like that this series. Uh, so that's missing him. And then Thaddeus Young uh, did something with his finger. I think he dislocated his finger. Something happened with his finger. Either way, as far as I know tonight, both of them are out of next game. Toronto's already not 
a deep team. They were already not a deep team. Tyrese Maxey is good at basketball. Came out and had 36 or 38 in his playoff starting debut. So that was fun because that mixes things up quite a bit uh, in terms of what we were talking about with our predictions. Is James Harden, uh, I thought this would be a, a hard series for him to be effective in shooting-wise, which I felt is important. But if you can get something like that out of Tyrese Maxey, then uh, you know, if you can get that as much as possible, that's great. Because all of a sudden, Harden shooting 5 or 15 or whatever isn't as important if he's also just assisting everybody, including Tyrese Maxey. And then Maxey's uh, either leading the team in scoring or he's the second leading scorer. Something like that really, really helps. Raptors... Uh, even though Embiid didn't have a, a great scoring night, his size was clearly at the beginning of the game with how much he was getting fouled and um, how they were trying to cover him. Size presented a clear issue. And it was never really... That game came out of the gate with the Sixers just kind of uh, in in commanding control. And it never really went the other way. I'm not as interested in this series anymore just because... And not, not that Scotty Barnes is this superstar and they have no chance without him but they were already fighting an uphill battle and i chose philly in seven i thought toronto was already fighting an uphill battle to win it, it you, you get shorthand by two bodies on a team that's already not deep i don't really know that they're going to be able to overcome that especially because while scotty Barnes is not a superstar he is very important uh to that team so in terms of things like uh, ball handling, in terms of them being able to switch everything because all of those guys are, are built like go-go gadget, it's it's now kind of uh, probably going to be tough. You got blown out in your first game, you went down two bodies. It's probably going to be kind of tough. I would not be surprised if this ended up being that difficult for Philly, but I've seen weirder things, so we'll see. But yeah, because I'm not that interested in that series, I don't wanna really want to talk about it much anymore. I believe that brings us to Warriors in Denver. So... Golden State and Denver Nuggets. Here's what happens. I made a video this morning. I'm not gonna lie to you, I was kind of tired when I woke up and made that video. I'm not sure if I hit the points that I that I really wanted to. Um, because the Jokic the Jokic Discord the Jokic discourse has already been terrible this season, but it just went to total shit after he lost Game One, and I could do nothing but laugh. Because first of all, I was going wait a minute. I just had to kind of check where i was and check the year i was going did i miss something was were people expecting the nuggets to win this series were people expecting that the, the nuggets were a better team i was a little bit confused by a lot of the takes that i saw a lot of the things about uh this affecting his mvp which doesn't it doesn't because that's a regular season award and all these things about why Jokic isn't this. Or, and I was like, whoa, 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 wait a, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. It, did we not already establish that it's it's kind of weird that they're a 50-win team without their other two best players? That's, uh, let, let's just first off stick to basketball. I chose Golden State in six. I think Denver uh, with Jokic... And with the size that they have and the, the way they played throughout the season, I thought they've had some elements to be able to make it an interesting series. I did also pick the Warriors for a reason. I picked them at six for a reason. And I would be very shocked if Denver won the series for a reason. Because this is not a great matchup. This is not a good matchup. This is a team of shooters. Team of sharp shooters uh, with a big that is probably most comfortable in drop. And perimeter guys that do not defend well. 
That sounds mighty familiar, by the way. I'm trying to see if I go to the Jokic discourse first. The Jokic discourse first, or what happened? What happened first? Well, Steph came off the bench. Jordan Poole uh, continued my questioning of what's going to happen when they get to their real starting lineup. And yeah, he's he's really really growing up. Which oh, uh, spark note. Well, not a spark note, but whatever. Side note: Jordan Poole is not in the finalist for most improved player. So. I said, I, I thought you know, when I went and really looked at most improved candidates, I thought with him being in the G League last year and him now having basically helped keep the Warriors afloat at the end of the season and doing what he did at the beginning of the season, I thought he would be one of the finalists for most improved. He's not even, I thought he would probably win it. He's not even a finalist. So there's that. Uh, try, try guessing these awards. This is why it's tough. Uh, anyways, yeah, he, he's just grown up so much. And I did want to note that outside of in this whole Golden Dynasty era, outside of when the Warriors had Kevin Durant, you, you know, they never really had a third guy outside of Clay and, and Steph that was like that. Right. When it wasn't Kevin Durant, who was it? It was Harrison Barnes. It was Harrison Barnes who would. Yeah, he was nice. He was a nice wing and he would hit shots sometimes if it wasn't the NBA finals, if it wasn't the 2016 NBA finals. Uh, he was cool, but it wasn't a thing of, oh, give Harrison Barnes a ball and let him go work and do multiple things. Uh, that that element is what KD brought to them. And so Jordan Poole is not KD, but having a third anything in a lineup with Steph and Clay is so crucial. And so Poole, it's a guy, one dribble pull up off of a screen. Uh, catch and shoot off of a screen you have to chase him as well as having to chase clay there and also he gets to the rim yeah like he can he can get downhill i remember very early in the season saying i was a little bit worried about the warriors because jordan Poole to me is not a number two on a championship team if he's your second best player if he's your second option i didn't think he's cut like that yet but when you have him out there with steph and you have him out there with clay and you don't necessarily need a super defined number two like it's not like the world is over if jordan Poole doesn't produce that's a sweet spot that is a very very sweet spot and so i'm hoping and finally we got to see it because the warriors are are healthy now and everybody is together you got to see a little bit more uh this lineup that i think you're gonna see quite a bit and you'll probably see it finish games even if it's if it's able to happen steph play pool Wiggins, Dre, again that because especially because of defensively, it has to work with the team that they're playing. But they did play it; it did happen, and I like it. Especially when Draymond Green is able to just basically hold his own against Nikola Jokic. Jokic is trying to back him down and do his his fancy spins, and they and they don't work because Draymond's a very solid defender. When you can when he can hold serve, when Dre can hold serve against whatever is happening. And not every team even has a post-up presence like that. Oh boy, that lineup can get nasty. That lineup is going to be something that they're going to be basically learning how to unlock in the playoffs since they didn't get to use it much throughout the season at all. I don't know how many minutes they played during the regular season, if any, but I've been waiting on that. It's here and it's beautiful. So that's a lot of Warriors talk from Jordan Poole stuff. Seth Curry did not look great, but it's his first game back. He came off the bench and played in what a month so didn't really expect him to I, I didn't really expect greatness however uh going against this nuggets team they can more or less tune up even if it does end up being a six game series it's pretty simple 
Jokic, if he's going to drop, Warriors going to have open shots. You set the level, the Warriors cut so much. They have guys that, that know when to cut. They have smart cutters, smartest cutting team in the league. So if Jokic comes up, it's up to a lot of other Nuggets guys who don't have great defensive instincts. They're not great defenders to begin with. It's up to them to keep up with the Warriors movement. So you're going to have guys um, you know, cutting back door, like a specific play that Draymond did last night, cutting from the uh, right corner, I believe, after they... I, it looked like they were, I don't, I don't think they were trying to trap pool, but uh, Otto Porter slipped and it just, you know, just kind of came together. The, the Nuggets defensively just don't have good matchups for this and they would definitely have to catch the Warriors on a cold night. And the, the Nuggets would have to be hitting a lot of their shots for this to end up uh, going the distance. But you know, the Warriors end up blowing the top off of that. Clear advantage Golden State right now. And that was without Steph really doing anything. So, yeah. So, but you know, to the Jokic discourse, it's just kind of weird because, again, this is not a series I was expected to be won. And the main thing that everyone says about uh, the stats being the reason he's going to win, or oh, it's only because of stats, that's literally from Nick Wright. And this bothers me because that's Nick Wright's whole trope, and that just shows you how effective it is, even though you see people call him a clown or whatever, call him a clown for his analysis, whatever it is, you see his discourse come down because nobody else really, nobody really does that. It, of course, you've got some graphs that are out there and I don't agree with a graph that'll show Jokic as the best defender, but outside of that, that's not the main argument for his game or him being MVP. It's not, but that's what people battle against and that's the knock on him when they lose to a team that's pretty much superior it's i don't know it just went a lot of weird places it is what it is uh, it's probably gonna uh, get mvp here in a couple of days or weeks and the internet will digest that and be mad about it and move on until it happens again someday so because uh, i don't think he's winning these straight uh, but yeah so that's that's warriors nuggets and that was the first slated night of game ones day two kicks off with trey young versus the heat so uh this is i guess where i'll talk a little bit about the play-in game because the cavaliers it is unfortunate that they had to go out the way they did but trey uh, added an another city to his gauntlet danced on the logo after crossing uh, karis lavert i believe uh and shooting from the logo it was it just got really ugly but outside of all that stuff you probably have already seen that is why and, and i picked the cavaliers to win and i was almost right Jared Allen was playing a role. The problem came with it being a one-game scenario. And so, in one game, when you have a guy like Trey Young, it, who does what he does, uh, that's probably who you should go with. <laughs> and that's why I went with him the first time. Specifically, down the stretch of that Cavs game, they just started spamming screens, man. They started spamming screens, and the Cavs didn't know what to do. They didn't know whether they should trap. Uh, they didn't know whether... And they just switched a lot for a while which was the problem you know the switching on trade wasn't really effective and they didn't know what they could do to to what how they could cover it to slow him down and before you know it he was having a classic trey young playoff time game and so that's how the Cavs got disposed of problem is you can't really bring that shit to miami it's i'm sure there'll be a there will probably be a trey young game throughout this series at some point which is why i would say probably miami in a five but uh see bam knows how to switch <laughs> like <laughs> bam out of bio is a mobile big that 
is elite at defense and he can switch and he can come up he can play at the level and he can come up or he can fully switch uh, and he can stay in front of the ball he can close out to the corners he can do a lot of things and fly around and so a lot of those open shots that would be created by the chaos of what Trey Young can do is just a, it's a bit neutralized by Bam and Miami's defense as a whole. And so you end up with a Easter Sunday ass whooping. The Heat win by a lot. It's going to be difficult because the Hawks, they don't have good defense. They rely on that second rated offense that is also reliant on Trey Young just being able to muck things up and finding something to exploit. But against Miami, I'm not sure that there is something that that offense is going to be able to exploit. So I still think there'll be a closer game. There'll be closer games than 30 point games. Uh, there'll be a game that the Hawks can maybe even win. But to upset Miami, they would have to defy what the what the books say, what the book says about how these teams match up. I don't see that happening. So that is how game one went, and it, it was out of hand very quickly. So I don't have a whole lot of things I want to say about that. Oh, <laughs> but I do have a lot that I want to say about the Celtics and Nets. Got to look back and see how how close my food is to being done. Like I said, this podcast will be shorter. And I was trying to get it all in before the food comes out. So Celtics and Nets happens. And I'm still stressed. I feel like I, as I just started to talk about it for the first time since the game earlier, it's like PTSD. A lot of things that I said in the prediction did come true on both sides for the Nets and for the Celtics. A lot of the switching and trying to abuse Kyrie or Curry small lineups that the Nets would run and the Celtics trying to punish that the Celtics very aggressive defense the Nets lack of depth the Nets lack of depth uh the Andre Drummond and Bruce Brown lineups not being ideal which led to Andre Drummond not being on the floor that much they opted for Claxton like a lot of those things that I said on last week's pod uh, came right out here's the problem and this is why I didn't want to play the Nets first sometimes KD and or Kyrie just make shots and it throws out everything that happened, even if it was for an entire game before that. And so that's how you get to the third or fourth quarter where Boston goes on a run and it looks like they're pulling away. But two things happen. So once again, Kyrie, just, just tear up your defensive book. Doesn't matter if you have him in the corner and he's jab stepping, and you have your hand in his face, he can pull up and make that shot. So that's just there's nothing you can do about that. Um. But then what I'm worried about and what I've been worried about in terms of Boston getting out of the Eastern Conference, there's just stretches. And I said this exact statement probably two or three podcasts ago. I, I just remember where I say stuff and I, I somebody got to count every time I reference an old pod. I said Boston has these stretches where they will just not score sometimes. They just have these stretches where the maybe a guy's not hitting three pointers or JT or JB just can't get something to go. And all of a sudden they're dead for four or five minutes. That is why I'm worried about them going against teams that coming into the season we thought were better. Because in the playoffs, that just has to happen a couple of times and you've lost a game by one or two points. And you can only lose four games by one or two points before you're out. Or you know, what if that costs you a playoff game? It almost cost them today because there was a couple of stretches where Boston just couldn't do, they couldn't score. One of the things that contributed to that is your guy Derek White. I talked about his shooting. I talked about being worried about it. I like him defensively and what he adds because we have so many other defenders, but he is our Bruce Brown. The Nets said just the same way we ignore Bruce Brown is how the Nets said we're going to ignore Derek White. 
That's how you found Derek White in the corner a lot, and you found him on the wing with his hands open, just sitting there waiting for the ball to come to him, and he was being ignored by the other nine players on the court. It was to a point where I didn't know if his defensive contributions were worth having him out there, but it's also kind of like, well, what are your other options? Because you have a rotation and guys need rest. So that there's just specific plays where the floor was closed up just enough to bother a layup. And, and that was the difference between the layup going in or not, is that uh, there was able to be a second body in the vicinity because Derek White is just existing on the three point line. So that I was worried about that came to pass. I was worried about the shot making, the legendary shot making of these guys that came to pass. I, I'm mad that Nash at least was wise enough to not keep Drummond out there because they were the Celtics were more or less ignoring Drummond on rolls. It was KD coming off of a screen, Drummond rolling down. Uh, you would have Horford or whoever just kind of in between uh, in between those two. And if you want to throw a pass to him, it'll probably be a steal or get caught under the basket and maybe fouled, which is a win for Boston. Or uh, you have what would happen where one of those guys just pulls up for the jumper instead. And it's heavily contested because Boston's defense was harassing. In the first half, it was almost a little bit over aggressive. There was a lot of fouls in this one. But I have not seen KD defended like that very much in my lifetime. I can I have specific memories of watching Durant back 10 years ago on Sunday. And so I've seen a lot of KD basketball. I don't have very mem many memories of seeing him struggle the way he did in around the first three or three and a half quarters of this game. The poke aways, the, the activity of, of Boston's hands on defense was just really bothering him. He was getting stripped. He was throwing turnovers. They bothered him in a way that I wish I could have faith that they would be able to bother him for the most of this series because it's only won this game by one. But I think you have to you have to acknowledge Boston's defense on him, though. In the second half, of course, he got to his pull up a little bit more. Once he gets to his pull up, you're dead. Oh, and my food is ready. All right. So since my computer's audio program is on some bullshit tonight, I can't even hear what I was saying before. I, I was rudely interrupted by the food that I Put a timer on uh so i'm gonna assume i was talking about kevin durant pull-ups and all the things that were going on um celtics defense i i went through that Kyrie. look at the end of the day one of the things i said and why i picked the celtics in six is because i'm seriously as a team i'm not that impressed by the nets down the stretch i am very impressed with Kyrie and kd but in this game I think it even showed for the most part, like Dragic did a good job hitting the shots that, that we were basically giving him. But uh, for the most part, it's Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant hitting incredible shots and occasionally hoping Curry is going to hit some shots if he's left open. There's a creative thing that they did because at a certain point, the game was very close. It was winding down and Kyrie was on fire. And what ends up happening there is you go, it's time to blitz. It's time to trap. It's time to double. And whatever happens, happens. Because when Kyrie's in his own, you, you would rather you would almost rather a decent or a good shooter take an open shot than Kyrie take any shot. Problem is, Nets mix it up. They started sending Curry to screen. They started sending KD to screen. And I was in so much pain. Because I'm going, you can't <laughs> you can't trap. 
You cannot blitz Kyrie on a screen where one of those guys is screening for him. You can. You have to stay single coverage, and so he might just shoot over your outstretched hand, which which did end up happening a couple of times. Some of the lineups that the Nets are tried to get away with, and they probably will continue to, but it's the it's the guard lineup. It's another thing we talked about in the preview. Having three guys, Kyrie, Dragic, um, Curry, or Kyrie, just any combination of those three small guys. They did that. And I was begging Boston to punish them. You have to punish those lineups, whether it's with rebounding, whether it's with uh, posting up and making them collapse and making them make decisions defensively. You got to punish that because that can get deadly. That can get deadly. That's a very quick lineup on their offensive end. There's just a lot that they can do with that. That can get very difficult to guard. You end up in some bad situations. So that cannot be allowed to exist. They tried to post Jalen Brown up two or three times on Bruce Brown. My uh, issue with that was, God damn, we cannot throw a post-entry pass. <laughs> There's no post-entry happening. Uh, I think two of them resulted in turnovers. They just went way too quick. It was almost as if it was just they were just too eager to get it to happen. But that would have been nice because Bruce Brown does not have the size for, for a Jalen Brown. And man, it was just a good game that came down to the wire. Came down to some incredible... Uh, defensive plays and 50-50 plays. And how about the the win was improbable. So this is why you need to be here on watch parties. If you don't come to any other watch party, come to the Celtics and Nets one. Because that was insane. That was an insane last possession. The Nets have the lead. As a Celtics fan, I am groomed to believe that when a game gets close the way it was with that and Boston is trailing and they need something to go right, I'm groomed to believe it's going to go wrong. It just has so many times. But the Celtics came up with a championship level defensive stop not letting Kyrie get to any of his open spots uh staying in front of KD basically making him force a terrible shot at the end and then not calling a timeout Ime Udoka said that his team is well aware if they have a um you know if they if they have a flow going he's just gonna like let it play out the important part about that is the Nets couldn't game plan for anything or make any substitutions so it was kind of a chaotic play Marcus Smart made an excellent read because Claxton and one other guy closed out way too hard on him shooting uh, on his potential shot, which knowing our luck as Celtics, that just probably wouldn't have went in. He's able to put the ball on the floor, or whip a very nice pass to Jason Tatum, who spun instinctively so he didn't get a charge on Kyrie or didn't you know let Kyrie strip him. Spun layup game. Oh, my goodness. Oh, they escaped. <laughs> they escaped with game one. I'm not, not excited that they escaped with game one for no reason. It's not just because, oh, it's game one at home. It's because of how how it happened. It was the fact that they were up double digits and Kyrie literally erased it pretty much on his own. Showing, which, showing that that type of performance can just throw everything out and you can win a game based off of that. They can the Nets can get a game off of that. I'm not I'm not sweating it. It just can't be game one. It can't it can't be game one on on the home floor. That's not the one that can that can go that way. Game two can go that way or game three in Brooklyn can go that way. It cannot be game one and and putting and already pushing the, the Celtics closer to the ropes. So one thing that will be said is, oh, KD didn't play anywhere near decent until the second half and the Nets still won. And yes, I hear you, but to make up for that, Kyrie played damn near perfectly. It was to the point that, that he erased a double-digit deficit, 
damn near on his own. It was a Kyrie run. That goes to the keys to the series, the keys to this being a long series that I said would have to happen for the Nets and for the Nets to win it. It has to be perfect games from one or both of them to be able to compete and or win. They have to be perfect because that roster is not deep. It's not that impressive. It's not that good. And it is clearly exploitable. So if Kyrie is not bailing you out or if Kyrie and KD are not both like really, really on, that's how that's how they have to win four games. It has to be like Kyrie level performances as that has to come from them. And so if that doesn't happen, the Nets don't win. And that's why I picked the Celtics in six. So, of course, because the book could just get torn up, it could go seven in hell. The Nets could even win it. But I, I will stick with my six prediction. I stick with my six prediction and uh, hope Boston can clean up some of the things that happen on offense, specifically like Derek White. I just want to see how important Derek White minutes actually are. I know he had a couple of good buckets, but boy, that really contributes to the offensive issues when he's standing on a wing and nobody on the floor is looking at him. Um, Yeah, I just, I just want to see what they do with that. All right. Well, I said a mouthful there. Boston 1-0. Boy, this series is going to traumatize me. As if I don't already have un- unpacked trauma from 2009 uh, Celtics Bulls. This series is really going to really going to do me in. And then after this, should they get out of it, they'll have to deal with Giannis. That's the next series. That's still another one I don't really have much to say about. That one, I would just go ahead and be transparent with you that while the Bucks were blowing them out, I fell asleep. I did wake back up. I rose to see the Bulls had made it close. So I watched the end of it. Shout out Brooke Lopez being back. Turn his... His return, I had been pondering that through a lot of the season on these pods, wondering how healthy he would actually be. He was, is uber important to this series. He was uber important to that. Or sorry, uber important to this playoff run. He was uber important to this game. Um, DeMar DeRozan not beating the allegations. That's This is aside from being uh, super fascinated with how the Grizzlies would pan out in the playoffs. I was also fascinated to see DeRozan hitting these, these wonderland tough shots that he survived all season off of that have got him on an all NBA team or that will have gotten him on an all NBA team. I just wanted to see how that worked in the playoffs. Uh, it didn't work great in, in this game specifically. It did, it did not work great. Um, and yeah, the, the reason this is another one of those series. So this is probably the third one now that I just don't really have super interest in because that's one where people will probably say, well, bad shooting nights, but the Bucks almost lost. Yeah, but look, the Bucks have a history of losing game ones. They lost to the Heat last year. Oh, sorry. Sorry. They got close to losing to the Heat last year and then they they wiped the floor within the rest of the series. I really and truly think that the Bucks are this was their game one. They're going to. You know, it was a close one that after they lost the lead and they almost lost it, but they didn't. And Chicago, if they were going to get one, that really was the one I tweeted out kind of jokingly, but not really at the beginning of the day that the buck that the Bucks were going to lose today. And this was going to be the only game that they lose that. But Chicago didn't even get this one. So as far as where I'm at right now, I feel like Bucks are going to clean house and, and just go ahead and go all the way. Now that, they, that the Bulls didn't get game one, kind of feel like they won't get one at all. But admittedly full transparency i do want to go back and see more about how demar Derozan struggled i don't believe let me this is one i should look up now i don't believe off the top of my head that drew holiday and or chris middleton had great nights and 
shooting nights I'm talking about. Ding, ding, ding. I am right. 6 of 16 for Holiday. 4 of 13 for Middleton. Wow. This looks exactly like last year uh, in the playoffs. This is what happens, right? How do those two around Giannis do? Uh, shooting wise because there's other things there's assists drew had six assists that's cool and his defense but how do they shoot that's crucially important to their run and last year it was very hit or miss and so it looks like we're back to that now um but yeah the it, the bucks jumped out to an early lead and lost it i feel like they'll go ahead and clean house but maybe you know i i, I don't I'm not gonna knock you if you're optimistic and you think the bulls because you saw them compete in this one you feel like they can continue to compete um hell maybe maybe drew and chris will suck from the field the rest of the series and that'll that'll be just enough for some games to slip that i'm willing to believe that and after that yeah pels and suns i look i i felt no need to pay much attention i feel no need to pay much attention to this series i've already seen everything from the pelicans i want to see this season they're now up against a juggernaut if anything i'd like to see some nice nights from bi um the pelicans didn't just completely die they only ended up losing by 10 i believe when they were down by much more so they at least continued to fight but chris paul decided that no that's just not a thing and the suns uh, killed it on both sides of the floor pelicans are heavily overmatched i i don't really have much to say and i'm not one of the people who take what i see against 30 win teams 30 and a half win teams um that seriously because phoenix they can do everything flawlessly against a pelicans team and then go up against a team in the warriors that that's that matched them very well and you know whatever happened in the first round not matter that could happen so i you know whatever happens in pelicans and Suns or whatever developmental strides the pelicans take uh in this series i'm that's probably something i'm more interested in later for now that's the series i get to kind of just rest on to be honest there's other podcasts there's other people that will deeply analyze that series for you i'm, I'm not interested bro. I'm, I'm really not i'm kind of and i love bi I love Brendan Ingram, but I'm kind of mad we didn't get the Clippers because Paul George got COVID right as the play-in was happening. So he didn't even get a chance to help the Clippers fight. Um, even if he had of, he would have probably missed game one. But yes, the the world where the Clippers and Tyron Lue give the Suns some first round headaches, it, I didn't get that. So I'm just kind of boycotting. All right. Well, that is it for game ones. Uh, as I said at the beginning, you can expect some randomly placed pods maybe you'll get one on a thursday or something like that uh, i don't know if i don't yet know if you'll ever ha have a time where there's not one on a monday if there's not one on a monday it's because i did one on like a sunday or saturday but yeah definitely some randomly placed ones throughout the playoffs just pending the games because i feel like waiting all week when some of this playoff drama happens to talk about it doesn't necessarily make sense and i don't really want to make a bunch of main channel videos and say the same exact thing that i would say on the podcast anyways um I do main channel videos that probably be more play based. So, yeah, they go your game ones. They go your game ones. Oh, and if I didn't drop a prediction, yeah, Suns in four. Suns in four. Bring that meme back. Make sure if you're listening on YouTube, hit the like button on this podcast. Uh, like I said, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, keep the ratings up. We are at 700 plus on Spotify, so much appreciated. Uh, if I hadn't said it already, this podcast will continue going through the summer. So even once it slows down, the season slows down, uh, that's when I'll just have more guests coming on and the show shall continue. So it's not stopping or going away just because basketball might be for a little while. Appreciate y'all and I will see y'all on the next one.